Welcome to From There to Here with your host, Miranda Dekonski. Together, we'll explore our personal journeys and how they have impacted where we are today. We hope that you'll walk away inspired, motivated, energized, and knowing that there is no right or wrong path. Each path is uniquely our own. And now your host, Miranda. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm here today with Amelia Dancica. I can't believe it. I've been saying your name wrong all these years. I've known you for quite a few years now through the customer success community. I'm just so happy and thankful for you joining me today. I feel so honored to have you here talking about something I'm very passionate about, which is our personal journeys that took us to where we are today. Before we get started, though, I would love to hand it over to you just to do a little intro about yourself. You're pretty badass. You're a female CEO. You sit on various boards. I've sat on some boards with you. You do a lot. Can you just give us a little snippet into your world? Absolutely. So I'm based now in Sonoma County, California, and I work in tech. I do what I love every single day, and that's helping people and companies grow. And I'm really thankful to be part of your journey today on this podcast. So thank you for inviting me, Miranda. No, thank you. And just hopping right into it, I also know that early on, you had a very interesting journey in your personal life. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe your move from Italy to Canada, and then you moved here to the US? Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and all of that fun stuff. You bet. So I don't know if I was meant to be here, but in 1981, there was a major earthquake in the region of Italy where my family was living. And my dad just decided that's it. We're moving to Canada. So a family of six, three of us went with him and I was almost six years old at the time. And then my mom came a few months later with the other three children. Fast forward my first degree in Canadian studies and social history at the University of British Columbia. I decided I wanted to work in tech. And so much to my parents' dismay, they said, what are you doing going to university and getting a degree and taking off to America? You should be continuing our tradition of working in restaurants and helping us run our pizzeria. And I said, no way. I've fallen in love with San Francisco and I'm going to pursue my dream. So fast forward 20 plus years, I've even moved back to Europe, lived in Rome and in Denmark for a couple of years, working in tech there. And then I moved back to the US 17 years ago. I met an American and here I am. <laughs> That's really fascinating. So your parents, do they still have pizzerias? My parents are in their mid 80s. They retired in their early 50s after making pizza for over 30 years. And now instead, they go walking every day, ride bikes, and live a really active life in the Okanagan Valley of Canada. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm assuming, though, that you probably work there as a teenager. Is that a fair assumption? I would say I started working there the minute my parents could get me to wipe a table down or bring dishes to the sink. So it was definitely a family affair. And we all took turns working with my parents. We had days of our lives on in the back and we all just pitched in. I'll never forget my early days of customer success. <laughs> that is definitely a great leeway into the path that you've taken now. Do you think that those moments are what actually mapped you to this journey or do you think it's something else? I do believe that had a large influence on how I approach customer centricity. 
When I first entered tech, I was in customer marketing for a SaaS company. It was my first peek into tech at guru.com. And then I was recruited as a project manager, worked on global projects and became obsessed with getting a PMP and Scrum certification. And from there, this thing 25 years ago was born customer success. And so I got a taste of it early on and fell in love with the profession and just never looked back. I believe project management and Scrum working with engineers is great, but my customers that I love serving more are the ones that are external. And that's why I pursued this passion instead of staying and working on internal projects. That makes sense. Shifting gears a little bit to today, outside of your professional life, what do you like to do? I definitely try to practice what I preach. I really try to start my day with exercise. My father is a 1960s Olympian for cycling. And so we grew up with exercise and making our body health very important as part of our whole lifestyle. That's just a really important part of my life, starting my day with exercise. And then from there, I grew up on a farm. We had 10 acres of land. And even in Italy, we had land. And so when I met my husband, I told him early on one day when I have enough money, I want to live on a farm. And while I don't live on a big farm, I do live on some land and we have lots of fruits and vegetables we grow. We have chickens. My daughter has a horse she leases. And so that takes up a big part of my life. And then I live in the wine region. So whenever we have guests visiting, of course, they want to go wine tasting and doing history events around here and lots of hiking. So that takes up a lot of my time. And last but not least, I love different cultures. I'm obsessed with it. So any money and time that we can save up, we are off to explore new cultures, foods, regions of the world. Oh my gosh. You have just given me so much there. I don't even know where to dig in. (laughs) I did not know that you had a father that was an Olympian. That to me is incredibly fascinating. Do you have any siblings that picked that torch up or did it end with your father? Tell me more about that. Yeah. So my brother's a triathlete. He's retired now, but he was a triathlete. My brother and one of my sisters are both personal trainers. And then I would say we all own bikes and we all make just an active lifestyle essential to our well-being. I think that's just something that both my parents have instilled in both of us. Yes. I really love that. And then, I don't know, you probably know this about me, but I grew up on a farm in rural Michigan. Yes, Uh, I've seen the photos. (laughs) Yeah, so out in the middle of nowhere in rural Michigan, we had 80 acres, cattle, corn, soybeans, hay. We had chickens and all of that good stuff as well. So it's kind of awesome that you are trying to continue that. 10 acres is a lot, to be clear, for those that are unfamiliar with the Bay Area. Even though Sonoma is a little north, 10 acres is quite a bit to have in this region. How busy does that keep you? Your daughter has a horse, you have chickens. Like I just know growing up on a farm, there was always chores. There was always something to do. You can't take a vacation from a farm. Well, I will tell you, I sleep very well at night. I'm absolutely exhausted. And if someone asks me, well, how do you do it? I don't. I have an amazing partner. I'm so thankful that we really bring each other up, challenge each other and support our goals in life. 
And then I have a full-time nanny. I have neighbors that help us. I have a large friend network that we're always helping each other. And there's absolutely no way I could be doing this without my family and my friends and my nuclear family, predominantly starting with my husband, believing in me and always willing to take risks. We take a lot of risks. We make a lot of mistakes, but we try to learn from them and move on and just know that whatever isn't accomplished today, we'll get to it eventually. It's something we can focus on tomorrow. I really love that. And you kind of prompted me to think about a conversation I had on the previous podcast, which was with Vijay Marotra. We did talk about mistakes that we had made throughout our journey. And you just kind of prompted that thought. And he shared quite a few interesting tidbits that I found to be very valuable. And I'm sure folks listening took away some learnings. Do you have any mistakes that you'd be willing to share with us and maybe your learnings from what you got out of that? I think the biggest mistakes I've made professionally are I've been impatient. So thinking that I knew what I was doing or being impatient with people or following the system and then having to look back at it and saying, wow, if I only would have taken the time to listen and seen how other people were doing something and taking the time to actually practice what they were trying to teach me instead of being frustrated with the system and walking away from it. I think that's probably the biggest mistake is rushing. And now I coach my team all the time. I say, I would rather you say the deadline that I originally gave you is not feasible. I'm not proud of my work right now. I'd like a couple more days instead of being handed something that is sub excellent and then me having to send it back. So I try to use the mistakes I've made by rushing through life, through jobs, through anything that was really important to me and instead taking the time to really take advantage of the opportunity to produce something amazing and learn from the experience instead of rushing through it. I really love that. Sounds like one, you're an amazing manager. I would appreciate that if I was somebody who worked for you or with you. And thinking about maybe your experiences at some of the companies that you've been a part of, you don't have to name names, but tell me about the best manager you've ever had and what made them the best manager. I am so fortunate to have several. I think of two women in particular that I've worked for. One was my first leader and she just really took the time. She knew I was so passionate, so excited about customer marketing and what I was doing. And every time she wanted to give me feedback, it was never a criticism, but rather constructive where we sat down, looked at my work and her asking me, what do you think you could have improved in this? And letting me come to the conclusion instead of giving me feedback or making me feel bad about what I had done. Often it was the first time I was doing this. SaaS, especially in Silicon Valley, the boom, it was just such excitement and everything was moving so fast. And I think that was one thing. And then the other was when I landed my first customer success role, my manager pulled me aside and said, you interviewed so well, you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing, but you're letting customers walk all over you and you need to get a backbone. I don't know if she used those words of backbone, but that's what I took away. 
And the way she said it and delivered it, the next day I was ready to own those meetings, lead customers and get over my fear, my imposter syndrome, anything like that, that was holding me back from being my best self. So those are the two leaders I would say that have really helped my career. The others that may have been taking a negative approach to leadership only made me want to succeed more as a CEO or a founder of a company this time around, because I want to show the world that leading by negativity doesn't produce results, rather the opposite. So those are the two takeaways from really positive leaders and then negative ones. Thank you for sharing that. I have noticed that over the past couple of years through COVID, there has been a bigger trend of talking about mental health at work. And that was not really safe before then. I don't know why it has taken us this many years to talk about this and get this to front and center where it should be. But when you mention imposter syndrome, I immediately thought of mental health at work and folks having confidence issues and stuff in their day-to-day. And having a manager who does sit down and take the time to build you up and show you the right direction or help guide you in the right direction rather than manage you top down and micromanage you. It makes a huge difference in career paths. One of the things that I've often said to folks that have reached out to me that are on this journey of trying to find their career paths, when you interview at the company, know that you need to interview them as well. You interview the manager as well, because this is the individual that you're going to be working with a lot. So make sure you're having those mutual conversations. And I think it's crucial. I agree. And a question that I encourage people to ask along these lines is, if I was interviewing to work on your team, Miranda, I would ask you, Miranda, if you weren't in the room and I was interviewing someone on your team, what would they say about your leadership style? And that gets people to really think, well, what kind of boss am I? Am I a jerk? Yeah. (laughs) Or do I lead by inspiration? (laughs) Yeah, hopefully it prompts those thoughts. Unfortunately, I don't think everyone is super self-aware. I think that that's an uphill battle too. We don't have to tackle that here today. But when you're, let's say, 20, 30 years from now and you're retiring, because we're both about 20 years old, so we're going to retire in probably 30 (laughs) years, right? What do you want your legacy to be? I don't know if it's personally or professionally or both, but what do you want your legacy to be? Probably two things. One, I aim every day to inspire, especially women in tech. I don't think enough women pursue a career in technology for whatever reasons. And so I want that to be one. And then to have a seat at the table, I have a son and two daughters. And I want to know that my two daughters had equal opportunity to get a seat at the table. Right now, California might be the one state that is requiring a female on the board, but it shouldn't have to be a requirement. It should be No, they're incredible women out there that are leaders and they should have a voice here. So I think those are the number one things. And I just want to leave this earth better than I found it. I really love that. I want to switch really quickly into a couple of fun questions that'll maybe help everybody get to know you a little bit better. And I asked this on the last one as well. If you could have dinner with any two people dead or alive, who would they be and why? Oh, that's so hard. But if I had to pick two people really quickly because I've read their books and think they're just incredibly inspirational, it's Michelle and Barack Obama. 
I would absolutely want to have dinner with them, the positive energy, how they're impacting this earth, just what they did for our country and our world. I mean, Nobel Peace Prize winners, authors. I don't know if you saw Barack on that paddleboard, but in his mid fifties, you know, super fit and just living his best life. Wow. I want to be at dinner with those two and laughing and having fun and talking about how can we make more impact on this earth? Yeah. And they just seem like genuine people as well. I would want to be at that dinner with you. (laughs) (laughs) You're invited if I ever get invited. (laughs) Thank you. Let's make this happen. (laughs) And then the last question I'm going to ask you is, what is your favorite book? My favorite book, I think right now, I have so many favorite books, but if it's a business book, because I use it so often, I never thought I'd be an executive coach, but I'm coaching more and more CEOs as part of our engagements. And I love asking CEOs this question. And I did it yesterday. So it's fresh on my mind. And it's from this book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. It's written by two people who interviewed 3,000, I think three to 5,000 executives. And they found that CEOs at the time of the book's writing had the lowest EQ. So I've been working with CEOs on this. And I asked them during our first session, what are you feeling right now? And there's always silence. And then yesterday, the answer was, I'm really nervous. And I said, what are you nervous about? And he said, I have a lot of fear inside. And it just reminded me that being a CEO, being a founder is one of the loneliest jobs in the world. There's so many articles written about it. In fact, there's a book written about it. It's a small little book and I sent it to a CEO that I sensed was having challenges years ago. But lately it's Emotional Intelligence 2.0 because not enough people in the workforce leverage EQ to not only lead, but to have communication, productive communication with their colleagues, their friends, their spouses, their children. And if we all took the time to learn what that meant, we would all be better communicators. Amelia, I agree with you. I know people can't see this because this is a podcast, but I'm sitting here shaking my head. Yes, (laughs) I actually have that book. I think it's a great book. I've had it for quite a few years now, and maybe I should pull it back off my shelf and read it again. Do you think that we're doing better at the exact level of leading with EQ? Do you think that you've seen progress? I can't speak for all industries, but I can say in technology, This is a powerful, strong word. It might be too strong to say, but I feel that executives are being forced to. This thing we're talking about, the great resignation, they're trying to combat it. And so people are being forced to finally put it on the table and to learn how to be better leaders and to lead from a servant leader mindset instead of what are you doing for me? Why can't we make it a win-win where we're both winning towards aligned goals? I agree. I think forced is not too strong of a word. I think you're right. I follow a lot of folks on LinkedIn and I'm seeing more CEOs have conversations about being human first and leading with empathy and providing space for their team members to be human in their day-to-day. Also, things that I saw come out of the last couple of years is more organizations are offering monthly mental health days and things like that. And I think That is also coming out of this human first kind of movement. But I do not think forced is too strong of a word. I think you're spot on. We are wrapping up now. So if anyone wants to follow you, 
where can they find you? I am on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, either under my company's name, Growth Molecules, or just by my name, Amelia Dansica. Okay, wonderful. And I'll share those links when I share this out on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to find you, they don't have to do too much searching. and I'll try to, <laughs> to serve it up for them. Amelia, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time and it was such a pleasure just getting to learn a little bit more about you. And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to listen to your future guests. We have quite a few lined up, so stay tuned and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of From There to Here. Check back weekly for new episodes. For more conversations about this episode and more, please feel free to follow Miranda on LinkedIn. See you soon.